Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchev. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. This is episode two, technically, of our coronavirus Skype calls. And as we said on the last podcast, we have gone through significant changes as a full-service restaurant and a sports bar because of the coronavirus. And we're fortunate that we are open today. We're doing to-go business, probably better than most places. Um, We're very lucky that we have a strong team. Um, We also have a digital presence, digital hospitality. Every week we talk about the thesis that every business needs to be in the digital business. You have to sell something online, whether you have a good or a service. If you're a restaurant, you need to have online sales. You need to also be able to do delivery. And you also have to be in the hospitality business. The coronavirus has attacked the heart of hospitality. We are literally supposed to social distance, keep away from one another, which is very hard to do for hospitality professionals. It's not in our DNA. Um, But that doesn't mean that we can't be hospitable online and digitally. And today, um, our conversation, I have the editor of Full Service Restaurant Magazine, Nicole Duncan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us from the other side of the country. You are in uh, North Carolina, and you've decided to uh, spend some time with us today. And I know your team is very busy covering all the late breaking news, what's happening in the industry, how you guys can be a resource to restaurant owners. Um, Can you give our listeners a little idea of of what you do? Of course. Um, So I'm the editor of FSR Magazine. We cover the full service side of the restaurant industry. We also have a sister publication, QSR, which is for everything else on the limited service side. Um, We write for the restaurant operators, the restaurant chefs, the franchisees, um, and their business partners. And we put out a monthly publication for both of our magazines. So 12 times a year for two publications. Uh, But we also have a pretty robust digital presence that keeps growing and is really kind of just proven itself through this whole experience too. Um, But yeah, that's usually, that is kind of in a nutshell. Um, You know, it's funny that often people who I don't know professionally, just friends or family assume I'm a restaurant food critic, which is not (laughs) the kind of things we write about. We write about trends um, and we sometimes write about techniques that might be up and coming, but we are looking at it always through the lens of um, restaurants being a business first and foremost. Well, I appreciate that. And give us just a little bit idea of your team, your physical team before the coronavirus and then what you're doing now um, in the world that we're all living in. So we have a team of five. Um, We are small but very scrappy in-house. So um, we have our editorial director, Sam Okus. He oversees both magazines, but he is also the editor of QSR, the sister one. I'm the editor of FSR. Uh, We also have our digital content director, Danny Klein, um, and he has a new, relatively new business reporter. Poor guy started just a couple months ago, (laughs) so way to be thrown into the fire, Um, Ben Coley. And then we also have Rachel Pittman, who she's kind of our jack of all trades that she's going between digital and print, FSR and QSR. And that is all in-house here in North Carolina. Um, We also in the past have relied very heavily, especially for our print publications, on freelancers. And we have them just all across the country. And how did you get into the position that you're in now? How does one become an editor? Of, uh, of a of a content uh, company well 
Um, going back, I will maybe just go back to how I got to this particular role because um, I graduated college having studied journalism right in 2008 when the recession hit. So started with a magazine internship and ended up kind of having a few flighty years teaching English overseas, uh, working at a marketing company for a while. When I moved back to North Carolina, I had a job in communications at a science center, um, but I started freelancing for QSR actually. And when their associate editor position opened up, I jumped into that. Um, and I've been here now five years. So Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And how how before the coronavirus, I mean, it's kind of before the coronavirus and after the coronavirus and really what we're dealing with now because there is no after. Um, We don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. Um, We don't know what next month is going to look like. We're just really kind of running a day-to-day. I mean, essentially what we've been telling our friends and family is, you know, we ran a, we've been running a restaurant and sports bar for 11 years, um, an event company. Um, we do content, uh, and now we're pretty much a new business model. I mean, we've changed our entire operation to be a full service restaurant into that quick service model, um, Mm -hmm. which is something that we've always talked about. I mean, we know that labor costs are one of the, one of the biggest things that we, we grapple with, um, as far as the P and L goes, but for us looking at how fast we've had to pivot, I mean, we're right now pretty much, you know, second week of operation. Um, we added just last weekend serving alcohol to go, which is something I never thought would be possible in the state of California. (laughs) Um, but it's actually been a huge reprieve, not just for us to be able to move inventory, um, move some of the beer, move some of the, uh, liquor that we have on hand, but it's also been very welcomed by these incredible guests um, that have come to love our bartenders, love our servers, love our cocktails. Um, You know, taking the taverns out of the villages is something that you don't realize what the effect is until you go through something like this. And now that we can offer those services, that's something that we're really excited about. Uh, what what kind of stories are you guys hearing and what are you covering um, on both ends of the spectrum, the good and the bad of, uh, of what, what's, what's playing out? Um, I think I'll start with the bad just because I always like to end on a high note. Um, the bad that we're seeing, obviously, is just um, the massive furloughs, the massive layoffs. Um, I mean, we've seen brands as big as the Cheesecake Factory having to say that they're not they're not going to be able to pay their rent tomorrow um, just to see just both the titans of the full service side as well as these small independents. Um, you know, a lot of them, the independents especially, they laid their employees off early to give them as soon of a chance as they could to start collecting unemployment. Um, so they... They have been trying to be proactive in that way, but it is just, you know, like everyone is kind of hemorrhaging money right now. Um, We've seen some data that suggests um, from the NPD group that in the week ending, I believe, March 22nd or 25th, sales were down at full service restaurants about 71 percent compared to the same week a year ago. Um, And it was only 30. Let me see. I wrote it down. 34 percent for quick service. So this is really hitting full service. It's hitting the whole industry, but full service is just really kind of getting um, the the brunt of it, I would say. So we are reporting on the big chains, what's going on with them. Um, we're also trying to do kind of those smaller stories because you can definitely look at the big chains in terms of almost a canary to see how they're pivoting. Um, but, you know, this is trickling down to the small mom and pops as well as those uh, emerging 
groups that maybe have two locations for one concept and then they have like four other concepts that only have one location. Um, so that's kind of where we've been. We've also been inviting people to who are experts in various fields to contribute an article if they'd like for online that are giving advice. Like, you know, this is what you can be spending your time looking into relief funds. Like this might be something while we're waiting for the Small Business Administration to have these kind of rescue loans while we're waiting for Congress. Um, so we're really trying to not only keep them informed of what their peers are doing and what those kind of titans of the industry, the bigger brands, what's going on with them, but then also to have resources for them. Um, we don't want to just be, you know, the world is falling. There's no hope. We want to be still kind of not just a beacon of hope, but also a resource for them. Um, I will say that to that end, some of the best conversations I'm having are with the operators who are coming up with such ingenious ways. I mean, I know you were saying, you're like, we figured out how to have alcohol off-premises. And yeah. it kind of got me laughing when you said in California, how could that happen? Because I'm in North Carolina. We have blue laws. So <laughs> <laughs> I would think it'd be a piece of cake out in California. But um, it, that has been the part that's most um, rewarding is to not only see the ingenuity that this is um, brought out, but also to see how people are banding together. You know, you've seen Jose Andres and so many others turning their kitchens into commissaries <clears throat> and things like that. Um, you know, we're seeing also a story we did on line um, on Texas Roadhouse and his that CEO forgoing his salary. Other CEOs have followed. Those are like just very inspiring to see the restaurant come together and really try to look out for its own. Yeah, I think that's those stories are some of the, the most hopeful stories that we do have, you know, especially when you see people that have been very successful, the Danny Myers and um, and what doing things for the greater good and for their staff. Uh, I mean, it's incredible the impact that restaurants have on American society and American culture. It's something that I don't think any of us, even those of us that live and breathe it every day, um, you don't realize until you're literally at your house and you're trying to make three meals a day, seven days a week. And you're like, wow, I, you know, I, I, how did I eat before? I don't understand how, but you don't realize all those little trips that you made was to, you know, a mom and pop sandwich shop, or, you know, maybe it was Jersey Mike's who knows where it was, but those were all spends that you made throughout your week. Um, that now you're not doing um, or you're doing through delivery. So um, tell us a little bit about what you've been seeing as far as the delivery companies, the tech companies um, specifically in the space right now. Well, we are seeing a lot of them kind of trying to rush in and to help um, restaurants, whether they were existing clients or not. A lot of them are waiving their fees um, because they really do have, I'm thinking of kind of the Grubhubs, the DoorDashes, all of them. They have a potential to, I would think, win very loyal clients if they aren't already clients by helping them in this hour of great need. Um, so it, it has been the kind of thing where a lot of restaurants we've seen have already kind of played with that whole idea of third party delivery or third party um, ordering systems. But now they're really having to double down on their efforts. And I would say that the tech side is is stepping up to the plate. Um, you know, there have been in the past some criticisms where um you know, the fees are too high to justify having a regular delivery program. Or in certain markets, it's been said that you can go with this one company, but if you're not basically on this one, 
because they run the city, you're not going to be able to do good business. So there, there has been criticism, criticism of them in the past, but I will say that kind of the way the whole restaurant industry is coming together, they're really, um, they're seeing business boom and they are trying to help those operators, um, in this hour, just because, you know, um, we've been reporting on off-premises becoming a more viable option for all restaurants. Um, but it has always been the domain more of the quick service, uh, the fast casuals. So it is for many of these restaurants, especially the ones that aren't the big players like, you know, Outback or the Cheesecake Factory or TGI Fridays, this is a whole new wheelhouse for them to figure out. Um, so I think that it is good that for the tech side of that, they have um, partners who are just, you know, this is kind of their expertise. They can bring that so the restaurants can focus on making the same quality food and also packaging. I think that's one thing that um, restaurants that don't do carry out often are having to kind of make sure like they don't have that um, quality nosedive. Yeah, I think those things, I mean, the amount that's changed so significantly, so quick, you know, with things that we're trying to do to have sustainable packaging, to but also have quality control for our food, streamline mm-hmm. our menus to make sure that that quality goes for whatever delivery radius um, mm-hmm. the food is going out. I think those are all definitely important things that we're, you know, we're currently just trying to figure out. And that's, you know, on a day-to-day basis by adding, you know, Grubhub, we're adding this week. So that's, you know, we tried to add it last weekend, which was a very rookie move on our, on our part. And, you know, honest, honest to be told it was 11 years. We never roll out anything on a Saturday, but it was a new system, a new tablet. Um, it, they didn't have the correct menu that we wanted in. So, you know, we messed up some orders and, you know, had to explain, you know, sorry, we're, we'll make it up to you. But we had to go through that. You know, those are all growing pains and we're, our team is doing the best they can. You know, I've got an incredible general manager that's, you know, he's here, he's been here day and night trying to figure out improved systems. And those are the watching people in our community that have supported our restaurant come out and continue to support, but not only do that and then share it socially um, is something that's been so heartwarming for me and my wife and my family. And I think, you know, that's one of the competitive advantages that we have as a independent restaurant is the big corporate restaurants don't have a micro social presence where they can reach out to their local city or their local borough or their local village and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to jump on the local Facebook group for residents in this area. Hey, we're open for delivery. You know, they're waiting for the corporate to send out what they typically do. Um, Do you think this is going to be a change? for how, how restaurants use digital media and use social media? Well, I think also um, you bring up a really good point in terms of how empowered are franchisees or managers of stores, just because, you know, we see that system so much more on the quick service side of things where so many of the big brands are franchised. So you have operators who, depending on the brand, have a certain amount of latitude. So if they want to do a local marketing campaign, I know that, um, I believe it's Jersey Mike's that's been kind of hitting that aggressively in terms of really empowering their operators to like go kind of out there and help their community in the way they see fit, obviously within guidelines. Um, 
so for full service, that's kind of less of a consideration. Um, I think that you might see in the post-coronavirus world, uh, not only the bigger brands, I think a lot of them have already invested on the tech side, but in terms of just communicating, I know there's always this worry with a big brand, and it makes sense that if you give too many people a voice that is supposed to be the brand voice, you risk you know, someone saying something that they shouldn't have just because they don't have a marketing um, background. And it could be well-intentioned, but it, it rubs people the wrong way or it's inappropriate in some way. So I understand the reluctance to really kind of turn over the social media microphone, as it were, to operators. But I do think that what we've been seeing with consumer trends over the years is that there really is that connectivity. You know, a lot of the consumers today, they want to uh, support brands that they feel, and this is just not just in uh, food service, but across the, um, across retail and everything else they want to support and to frequent the brands that they feel have values aligned to theirs. They treat their people well. Um, There's certainly an appeal in local. So I think that to get that local vibe, there is going to have to be some sort of, um, some sort of empowering of managers or restaurateurs. You know, one that has always been good, I think, about trying to localize is Maggiano's. Every time you go to the local page, they have a thing about who is the chef here. Um, oh, you could say that's like a drop in the of water in the ocean, but it is a step in that way. And I would wonder if we might see more of this um, in a post-coronavirus world. I mean, I think that I think it speaks volumes. It's, you know, exactly that people want to identify with the people behind the brand, behind mm-hmm. the logo. And even if it is a big logo, um, knowing who that local owner is, um, you know, I'm always been a huge fan of McDonald's and Ray Kroc and the systems and, you know, behind the arches, which is my, one of my favorite business books. Um, but some of the biggest successes that they've had as a brand is when they've allowed their franchisees to develop the egg McMuffin. Um, the, that ingenuity happens because they know their neighborhood the best and they're willing to try things in a different way. And I, and I understand on a big, on a larger scale, that's hard to do, but especially, in this world that we're living in, um, it's very easy to see just in San Diego alone, the operators that I know that are fighting to keep their doors open, but are on social media, they're on Twitter, they're on Instagram, they're on Facebook. And it's not a matter of if they're posting too much, it's a matter of everyone wants it. They Mm -hmm. want to go out and support, you know, they want to go and order delivery. They want to know, okay, well, how can I get food? How, you know, can I come and pick it up? Can I order online? How can I do this? There's no better time with all the things changing to get out your message than through social, than through your website. Um, Do you see people investing more in their website? I think that's one of the things that I think when we talk about social media, everyone focuses on having to be on Instagram, having to be on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. having to be on these things. A lot gets lost on having a mobile-friendly website for Mm -hmm. your business where content lives um, for your brand. Well, I will say that I've been very impressed by just about, and I don't know if this is mandated, I don't believe it is, but just about every restaurant website I've clicked on since this started has like a banner that pops up and says COVID-19 restrictions or saying we are now doing carryout or we're now doing this. Um, so I, I was impressed that so many of these independents had that too. You know, again, you'll expect it of your chilies, your Applebee's, that they're going to have the bandwidth to have that automatically go up on all of their websites. Um, so I was impressed with that. Um, 
I have a feeling that we are always going to have those scrappy brands that never quite embrace websites, that they're <laughs> going to continue to go by Facebook. You know, the ones that sure. I'm thinking of where oh, yeah. you're some local favorites that they are beloved. But if you want to know what they're serving, get on Facebook and see if there's a chalkboard photo or if someone's posted on Twitter. Um, so I think that there will definitely be that website reluctance. The thing that I think we'll see a change is that everyone is going to understand that there has to be digital engagement. It doesn't matter if it's your website, if it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, some combination thereof. I think everyone is going to realize um, how necessary that is because the businesses who aren't there, um, they might be missing out on customers, loyal customers who want to support them and do delivery or carry out, but they simply don't know, um, or they're overlooked. Um, for example, on a personal note, um, about a week ago, I got an email in my personal inbox from a restaurant, a local restaurant. I really like, they have two different concepts and they were saying, you know, we had this email prepared today as our five-year anniversary. We had all these specials and throwbacks and they said, you know, unfortunately we're in this state that this is not the happy one, but please Please help us stay in business. Help us support our employees. Please do carry out um, or delivery. And that day I ordered something or maybe the next day and got it because, you know, it's not to say I wouldn't want to have supported them uh, regardless. But if they hadn't sent that email, they might not have been the first restaurant that I thought of. Yeah, I think that hits so many points is that we know inherently that we have to be on Yelp. We have to be on Google Maps. We have to be on TripAdvisor. We have to have updated photos. We have to have updated listings. We have to have an updated about us. And if somebody messages us, if, if I don't have a team member responsible, I have to respond to that because exactly that, that's the digital hospitality. We have to treat that just as if someone walked in our door. Like, and that's the most difficult part about operating in the world that we live in now, even before coronavirus, is there's so many things that an operator already has to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it definitely does get overwhelming. But when you're going through what we're going through now, you realize that all those are all leads. All those are customers that are trying to find an answer, trying to find a solution, and trying to support a local business because they know that um, they love having local restaurants and local independents um, and even local chains. You know, it's, you know, I just moved into a new community here in San Diego called East Lake, and, you know, there's a lot of independents, but a lot of it's a lot of chains too, you know, and they, I walk in and frankly, they, they're not as busy as I think they should be because they have great food, but, you know, I don't know what their ability is to, like I said, go on a Facebook group, you know, for East Lake residents and say, hey, we're open, you know, please come support us, your favorite server, you know, she, she's here or he's here, um, we can use your support. Those things, I mean, they go a long way, um, especially in the world that we're living in. So true. I mean, um, beyond just getting the word out saying, hey, we're doing takeout and delivery. Here's our streamlined menu. It's also kind of filling a gap um, for that interaction that you lose by not dining in. Right. Um, So with quick service, so much of its business has historically been off premises. Like you take it to go through the drive through, you walk in an order or you call ahead and order and pick it up. That's been common. Um, so there really is that kind of lost dine-in experience, uh, not just kind of the atmosphere, the fun of going out to eat, but also that interaction with the servers. And, you know, you were saying at the beginning how, you know, we're, we're hospitality people. We want to be hospitable. We want to interact. We want to do all of this. Um, 
and and that really it kind of causes this barrier. And I, I was talking with another restaurateur and he was saying, he's like, this week my focus is on social media because he said, when people come to pick up, he said, you know, it's very much like your car pulls up, the trunk goes up, someone with gloves puts it in. There's like no interaction. You're yeah. trying to be safe. So he said, what we want to do is then go get them afterwards on Facebook. Like if they post like, that was awesome to be like, oh, thanks for stopping by. You know, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, just adding that lost element in some way. Of course, you know, it's not going to be the same, but I think at this time it means so much more, you know, just yeah. to have that for customers to have that kind of touch point that, you know, their lives are also, you know, in kind of chaos. You you can't like I say, say across the board that whatever work they're in is in as much um, kind of dire straits as restaurants, but they're stressed out and kind of having the comfort of a favorite restaurant helps. Yeah, I think, you know, that you hit on a great point is one of the things since we started the alcohol program was, you know, we always had this robust cocktail menu. We have a, you know, a fishbowl with a margarita and with a Mai Tai and you get a rubber duck with it. It's almost like an adult happy meal. But <laughs> Once we said that, you know, California is allowing us to sell these, we had so many people that have supported our bar and our restaurant for so long, just not only wanting to buy it, but then it's kind of like build your own happy hour at home. You know, like we had people coming and picking it up and then posting in their Instagram or posting in their stories. And the great thing about Instagram stories is that you can repost it and thank them for coming in. Other people see that and then they're posting their to go. And that's the hospital. That's the hospitality side. We're now we're actually inside their home. You know, we're we're giving them barbecue. We're giving them a cocktail. We're it's it's a lot different, but mm -hmm. there's there's that connection. You know, and there's that connection and that appreciation too. Because you know, some families. You know, we we have small kids, and you know, my my wife's with my son and my daughter every single day. My daughter is going to be one this summer. My son's going to be three, and you know. I brought her a, a margarita fishbowl home and, you know, she, she was just, she, she was so excited to have it. Um, and, you know, we posted a video on Facebook and her family's in Bulgaria and they've been out here and they're like, well, when can we get a margarita? Yeah, that's that's the power of social media. You know, that's the global side of the digital content, the social content and really what restaurants do best is that we it, it's connection you know it, it's bringing the village together and that's one of the things that's always been important for us is we're part we're, we're a fabric in our in our in our community and we want people to come here meet other people that are strangers you know and now not having a bar not having a place for full service it's just it's so weird because all those steps of service, all those staff members, you know, we have 55 staff members. We laid off 28. We're fortunate to still have 27 employed. But all those staff members, you know, hospitality people don't like to sit still. You know, mm -hmm. we, we move and we take care <laughs> of people. We welcome people. Um, what do you what do you think is going to happen to the industry as far as how how many how many businesses are going to be able to get through this based off of the finances as you know them? I think, sadly, we are going to see a culling of sorts at the very least, just more so. And, and we've kind of been experts as well as our own team is have kind of been tossing this idea back and forth. Um, 
the market's oversaturated or the market has been oversaturated in the last decade. It's been this wonderful renaissance where dining has kind of been elevated to this new level, but also become more egalitarian, right? You know, you see the rise of these fast casuals that are borrowing inspiration from full service. You see full service being even more creative, but also bringing things that used to be maybe more fine dining, um, or very global down to smaller markets. Like if you want to have uh, dim sum, it used to be maybe 10, 20 years ago, you'd better be in a major city. Now you can be in a city like Durham and have several options for that. So it's been a wonderful renaissance, but at the same point, there has not been enough business to go around to keep a lot of these restaurants in business indefinitely. I mean, restaurants have always been razor thin margins that you operate under. Uh, many of them close within the first one to five years. It's never been an, in- an easy industry. People don't get into this industry for money. They get into it for passion. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, we have been debating in our team whether this will end up being an acceleration of what was already coming, which was going to be a slight shrinking, I think, of just just the sheer number of different concepts. Um, it's kind of hard to say, but I could see, I see the industry rebounding stronger than ever for sure. I do wonder if we will see fewer numbers though. Um, that's something that I think is a possibility. Um, but you know, these things always, it's a pendulum, it swings back and forth and this might accelerate that, but I don't think that it means innovation is going to die or people are going to stop going into, um, the restaurant industry. I mean, if you go into it, you're already saying, yeah, the odds be damned. I'm going to go into it. So we are a special breed of people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Sure. So, <laughs> Yeah. Um, tell tell me about your your process for your team and how you guys decide what you're going to be covering, how you're going to be um, putting out articles, you know, based on your content calendar and how that's changed um, in the last <laughs> in the last two weeks. How all your plans have changed. Oh, I was going to say. Um, <laughs> so I'll try to do a, a typical quick summary and then a last two weeks, which has been a. Okay, this is the new system. And then the next day, forget that this is the new system. Um, So typically, we are for the most part, kind of um, each in our own sandbox where, you know, I'm in FSR, colleagues in QSR print, and then we have our digital who's kind of going between both. And we have colleagues who, um, like I used to be on both magazines and kind of play around. We have those who aren't exclusive. Um, So the way that'll work is we'll often all collaborate when we're going through to assign stories for a month. We have an editorial calendar we put out around August, and it has themes through the whole um, rest of the calendar year. And it's kind of funny that we assign June at the beginning of March. And so we're already halfway through in terms of assigning stories, the 2020 calendar, which, you know, when it's the beginning of March and you're like, we're halfway through the ideas we put together, um, is always a little bizarre just working that far in advance. Um, and so whenever, so things on the calendar encompass usually like a couple of bigger features. We also have smaller departments that, um, they don't adhere to an editorial calendar. So when we have these meetings, we come up with ideas, we brainstorm together 
And we talk with the digital team about, oh, you know, here's a quick story they did reporting or here's this in-depth thing that's very timely. Is there a way we can put this in a larger frame that makes it evergreen? Because that's kind of the challenge with print. You know, like I said, we assigned, we started working on June at the beginning of March. A lot happens, especially now in between them. Yes. Yes. So that is the old way of operating. Um, The new way of operating is, like I said, it's still changing. Um, We have had to suspend any kind of uh, freelance work for the time being. And what we're doing to fill those gaps is, um, and we've done this in the past where sometimes we will tweak online stories to run in the print magazine. But generally, we try to generate enough content from both that, you know, we're not just saying like, oh, all the online stories can fill the whole magazine. We try to not do that. But right now, it is something where we are pulling stuff from online or kind of tweaking it to a degree. Um, All of us on print are contributing more to online. Um, It's kind of an all hands on deck thing. Yeah. Are are you seeing more of your staff and the industry as a whole starting to use their own social media to push out content? Well, I can can speak for myself that, yes, I'm trying to be a better social media person. I have never been, I've always been like kind of, um, I don't want to say a Luddite, but a little reluctant to um, adopt some of those things. So this has definitely been, I've been, my New Year's resolution this year was to use at least LinkedIn more. So I am trying to push that a little bit. Um, And, you know, our digital content director, he's kind of a LinkedIn superstar. So he's got it down. Um, And I've got two other colleagues who are kind of covering the covering Facebook and Twitter, um, which sometimes with our engagement seems to be one of those things that you have to have it, but it doesn't necessarily drive the, um, the readers and kind of the interaction the way LinkedIn does. So we are all, even before coronavirus started, we were all kind of saying 2020 guys, we're all going to like get better at social media. And then it's like, Oh, you really need to be on social media now. So yeah. And do you, do you see that from a personal standpoint and a, and a business standpoint Um, or, you know, like as far as each writer having their own Twitter accounts and LinkedIn accounts and Instagram accounts, as well as the magazine as, uh, as a whole? LinkedIn personal, for sure. Like we all want to be posting from pers- from our personal accounts on LinkedIn because, you know, it identifies us for who we are with FSR and QSR and just food news media overall. Um For Twitter, I will say that we are mostly tweeting from the handles of FSR and QSR for the most part. Same with Facebook. Um, I guess it's kind of we we've had these brainstorm sessions where we look at the data and I I bet you probably have more insights on this than I do. But the interaction, it's crazy how much it changes from platform to platform. You know, you really can't compare like what works on Facebook in terms of do you post as your brand or do you post as yourself? Um, It it varies a lot. And like right now, I'm really trying to get a little bit better with the FSR Instagram, which is it's tricky in that there's certainly the things we cover in the magazine are so beautiful, like different dishes or different restaurants. Like there's so much uh, visually and Instagram, such a visual medium that that's great. The problem is more that when you get into nuts and bolts, it's not necessarily what people go to Instagram for. That's the place you go more for like, you know, this recipe has this and this, we, we don't do recipes. So there's always that challenge of not just hitting the right voice, but also putting out the right content. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely a challenge for anybody that's producing any kind of content on any of the platforms. But specifically to what you said, you have to be each platform is its own playground. I mean, it's almost a different sport, you know, so even though you're trying to put something there, it's going to look a lot different on LinkedIn than it's going to look on Twitter and, you know, how it shows up, if the link actually works, um, if it actually shows a preview, those are chances that it's actually going to get read or retweeted. Um, Those are, those are significant things um, to bring more awareness to the brand. Can you talk about the industry as a whole, as far as your competitors? Um, You're saying most, most of the, the people that you compete with are in Chicago and New York. Yeah. So a lot of our competitors are also much bigger. Um, they're publications that are under bigger umbrella groups, right? Um, we are a small independently owned publishing company, which gives us, I think gives us a lot of advantage. We're kind of like mighty mouse. We might be small, but we, um, we're a bit more nimble and we also kind of have more control over what we do, which is great. I think than our competitors, but our competitors do great work too. I would say kind of the big ones for us, our NRN nation's restaurant news, as well as RB restaurant business, they've got, um, you know, and we see their reporters and editors at conferences, they have talented teams that also do good, good reporting. So, you know, it's kind of like restaurants to a degree where, you know, good business for one can be good business for all, um, as long as everybody is uh, dotting their I's and crossing their T's. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's a philosophy we've always lived by, a rising tide lifts all ships. And the more mm-hmm. that we support other barbecue restaurants in San Diego, other restaurants in San Diego. Um, we're definitely, it's not a, we're, it's not a Pepsi versus Coke type of thing. It's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the craft beer industry in San Diego and the brands that have come out. Um, they all got stronger because they supported each other. Uh, I think one of the things that's interesting is just on as far as resources that you guys are dedicating to the print side versus the digital side, mm-hmm. um, where you see that going, you know, in the next year to, to five years. I mean, we have been, um, one that we continue to prioritize print, right? And not even just looking at B2B publications or restaurant publications, you look at the massive consumer ones. I think of, um, for example, my favorite consumer magazine that's unrelated to food because I have those favorites too. But the one that's like unrelated to anything I do um, professionally is Outside Magazine. I think they put out excellent content. They have writers who have done many different kinds of books. They've even gone down to bi-monthly. I stand by something I've said my whole career, that print will never go away, but print will, I believe, continue to see more of its lifeblood go to digital. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, I think that it just, it's kind of one of those things that we, I'm not sure where we'll hit a point at which it kind of evens out in terms of digital growing, just because if you look at the digital um, presence for fsrmagazine.com or qsrmagazine.com, if you looked at it today versus five and change years ago when I started working here, it has become such this wonderful thing that used to really mostly just have a couple of short briefs and then publish the print material throughout the month. Now it is its own entity and it it couldn't be cooler. Um, I am a kind of old school print girl. So I always want to, I always want that print to be there, but I do understand that this is kind of the way of the future in a way. I think that's, you know, we, 
as as a barbecue media company, we're fortunate to have a lot of conversations. Um, the people that listen to this podcast, they know that you know the sports radio um, hosts, um, sports radio producers, local tel- people that run television stations. Um, we've had the fortune of interviewing people from all different walks of life and just talking about traditional media versus new media and where is the balance? Um, because ultimately, we're you know producing content at scale, but how professional is it? Um, what's the quality and what's the engagement and mm-hmm. where do we go from here? Because, you know, for me, having run this restaurant for 11 years, I mean, without your magazine, without restaurantowner.com, I mean, there's certain things that I hold dear to my heart that were tools that helped me and my general manager and my staff, because we didn't know where to turn. You know, we're trying to figure it out just like the rest of the other independent um, restaurants out there. I think for, for us, it's just been incredible to see, like you said, I mean, you started, you said 2008 at the height of the recession is when you That's kind when of, I graduated college. Yeah. yeah. Journalism school. <laughs> right. When all the magazines were folding. Yeah, well, we, we opened our, we opened our restaurant right when, right. When oh, right when, at, yeah. 2008 yeah. is when we opened. So, you know, we've, we've learned significantly, but I mean, our competitive advantage was really that we opened at that time in an undesired location that forced us to be digital. That forced us to learn social media that forced us to do events to do charity to do all kinds of things to bring people out to our brand to know what we do and then now in a time like this all those skills that we have are really helping us get the word out you know let people know for what you guys do and what your team does how how give me some stories of of people that that read your magazine and, and what they've told you it's kind of funny because at one of the national restaurant shows, I don't think it was last year, maybe two years ago, we had two different people. One who was a millennial operator, uh, so younger, um, talked to my colleague and said, you know, like, you guys do great stuff, but digital is where it is. Like, you just <laughs> do more digital. And then I had a conversation with uh, someone we've used as kind of a third party expert source on stories. He's worked in um, he's worked in distribution a lot. And he's also advised different stakeholders in food service with things like he's a consultant and he's probably in his 60s. And he's like, oh, keep that print going. Print is where it is. I just love these long form journalism stories. <laughs> And the two of us, my colleague and I, when we talked, we're like, well, if, if that isn't a, yep. you know, kind of sign of the times and also this generational gap. Um, so we get, we, uh, one of the kind of more heartening parts of the job is not just um, talking with restaurant operators, hearing their stories, but also hearing from our readers when, you know, they tell us this was useful. You know, you were saying like this, these these sources help get through things and give us the information we need. I mean, that's so gratifying. That kind of gives you the reason to keep doing what you're doing. Um, And we have it from both sides where we have people writing our digital uh, content director saying, you know, this was great reporting. Like this is just, you know, really painful a picture of something that happened quickly and I didn't have the context for at the time. And then we'll get on the print side articles. It's like, you know, that was a deep dive into something that is a continuing issue. Like I think, you know, if we say, for example, a feature on the trends of mergers and acquisitions with the larger restaurants, or if we're looking at something like sustainability, um, we will get that feedback for both sides. So that is gratifying, but it is very funny that 
depending on who you ask and maybe what their age is, they'll tell you where they're reading. Um, and we have had some folks who said both. They're like, oh, okay, I'll look real quick for the breaking and skim. And then I'll kind of like make sure if I have some time to dive into, you know, a 2000 word feature. Mm-hmm. What kind of conversations have you had regarding audio content and video content? So audio, it's interesting, actually. Um, my colleague, the editor of QSR, sister publication, he started um, a podcast about a year ago, a little over a year ago, called Fast Forward. Um, and he's been building it through the throughout the past year. And it's been really kind of drumming up this new audience because, as I'm sure you know, like podcasts are a great way to connect in a way that's a little bit maybe more personal than the written word. Um, And he has been really doubling down in light of the coronavirus. And um, I actually did, we don't have one for FSR yet. We don't really have that um, podcast platform, but I did do kind of a guest interview with someone that is going to air on that podcast. Yeah, so we are trying to get that to be part of our team. Um, video, I'm not as sure about. We are kind of toying with the idea of using some of the social media platforms as a way to get restaurant operators to interact with us and share stories and then maybe interact with each other. That's great. Where do you see event conferences going? <laughs> do you the, mean like, like given what's happening now, do you see event conferences as we know it? continuing to happen in the way that they do? Or do you see it more of a virtual, less scaled down approach to travel? Um, Um, Okay. At first I thought you meant the ones that were put on by media organizations just in general, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 In restaurant industry specific. Oh, well, those, there is no way those are going away. I just keep thinking about, I had a, um, I had a bet going with our sales director as to whether the National Restaurant Association show held at McCormick just celebrated its 100 years last year. If it was going to happen or not, I won the bet, but they did not call that until about four days before McCormick got turned into a makeshift hospital. The National Restaurant Association show, I can't imagine it's going away, um, I do see budgets being imposed on some of the smaller ones. Um, But I will tell you that it kind of goes back to what you said about the hospitality industry. People like that face-to-face networking. People like that face-to-face brainstorming. Um, I think that we're going to see budgets slash maybe some smaller ones will go to biannual or skip this year, assuming we're able to have any kind of large events this year. Um, But I think that they will not go away altogether. Maybe we'll see some more webinars or workshops that go digital in some aspects, but I think that in-person is still going to be a big component for trade shows and just special events. And for you personally, how have you, how has your work life kind of been impacted by, are you doing Zoom meetings or, or how, how, how does work happen for you now? <laughs> well, thankfully I, for the most part, have a desk job. So I went and got my big, nice desktop and brought it home last week. Um, I'm in my office, which I will say timing wise worked out pretty well. I just moved to a bigger place um, and closed at the end of February. So I'm very glad I'm not in um, my very small condo cooped up for this long. So I'm able to work from home. It's great. I brought my equipment home, um, can do interviews and stuff like that. So that aspect of it hasn't changed 
so much. I will say that we do not Zoom, but we use Google Meet. Um, every other day, we have an editorial check-in. We haven't had a company-wide meeting yet digitally. I'll see if that's coming. Um, I would say maybe one of the bigger adjustments is going to be um, with our proofing stage. We like to print out. Actually, I can show you what the next issue looks like so we can mark it up and read. And if we need to change anything, we can. So if I'm having to do that digitally, again, being kind of a print gal, it's going to be an adjustment to be kind of reading a PDF like this and trying to mark it up. Um, But yeah, I am very fortunate to be in the kind of job that I can do remotely without really losing much. That's great. What um, do you have any kind of words of advice for any restaurant owner or small business owner that's going through it right now? If they're you know keeping the doors open, um, presumably still they've gone they've gone from the FSR to the QSR. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'll tell you one thing that's going to be booming. I think it already was growing the whole ghost kitchen trend. I think it's going to be in the commissary idea. It's going to forever be an integral part of a food service operation, I think, from here on out. Um, But I guess my advice would be take heart that you're not in it alone, that your peers are in this, and please seek out resources. Um, I think that oftentimes in kind of even happier circumstances when we've talked to restaurants that are smaller, up and coming, they don't even get this opportunity to have interactions with their peers in their their own city. We actually started um, this series of meetups where we would go to different cities and we would invite the restaurants to kind of get together and get to know one another. We wanted them to start having those conversations, obviously with us, but with each other. Um, And it was remarkable how some of them, you know, they weren't, their restaurants weren't far away, but you are so, you have so much to do in running a restaurant that you can kind of keep your head down and not see the periphery. And so I would really invite people to seek out resources, hopefully from, you know, publications like FSR, but then also from your peers, um, also from the relief funds that have been going on. Um, Just really don't be afraid to ask for help um, because I feel like it's an ever evolving thing and just uh, knowing you're not in it alone, but then also having other people to think uh, through problems and to rely on or at least get some feedback on can help a lot. That's fantastic. Everything uh, we talk about will be, uh, we'll put in the show notes, um, Stover and Ian. Um, Stover's in Portland. Ian's in Austin. We're fortunate that digital hospitality is, you know, we we have such a reliance on people that are living remotely um, that do an incredible job to help us create the content and to share the stories because it's not just for restaurants. I mean, it's for any business, for any brand. Um, these conversations are so relevant in this day and age before Corona. And now, especially with Corona, um, we're all needing to pivot and we're all needing to look at what do we do digitally, but what also do we do in a traditional sense? Because you can't take the hospitality out. You can't take the print out, you know, just as much as you're, you're a print gal. I, I read books and I, as much as I love digital, I, I order the book because I want to highlight it and I want to hold it and I want to keep it because I'm going to reference it when I go back. Um, so I, I see a hybrid of how those things play out. It's just a matter of how you know companies, how brands, how publications, how content creators are doing the smart thing 
to continue to engage with their audience. And, you know, I, I just want to thank you and your team for always putting out incredible content. Um, if it wasn't for the coronavirus, I, we wouldn't even been able to have this conversation because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought about it um, unless you had come to visit San Diego. Um, yeah. So uh, how can people find you? On LinkedIn? Uh, yes, I'm on LinkedIn, Nicole Duncan. Um, we have, like I said, Instagram, FSR Magazine that I'm trying to get better at uh, rebooting. And then you are, anyone is welcome to drop me a line, just Nicole at FSRmagazine.com. Absolutely. And we'll put links in there to sign up for the newsletter because um, that's how you guys get out all your digital content, which it does an incredible job doing storytelling for operators like myself to find out what people are doing in different markets that are working, um, things to avoid, and uh, just kind of a, a look at the industry as a whole. So um, this will be on YouTube. Please subscribe. Uh, please check out Nicole. And thank you so much for spending time with us. Please be safe. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll keep in touch. Thanks, Sean. You too. All right. You did amazing. Oh, thank you. You're a great interviewer. Oh, thank you. It's, uh, we, we, I've learned a lot doing, I mean, you got, it, it's a skill, right? You have to continue to work on it and improve it and having a microphone and then changing it to having video and changing it to having, having Skype right. call. Well, um, tell me, does it get the podcasting? Like I said, I'm now trying to try my hand at podcasting. I'm used to transcribing things yes. like just, you know, for interviews. So I'm used to hearing my voice. I'm not used to the rest of the world being able to use my voice because I transcribe and pull the quotes, but then it's written. So does that part get easier? It's so much easier. It's okay. it, the, when you, I mean, you already know transcribing. So it's for people, the first time you hear an answering machine back when we had answering machines, like does yes. my voice sound like that. <laughs> and then it's the same with video. But yeah, everything, you know, for us, we started, you know, they seven years ago, people invited us to come to the news to promote our barbecue charity event. And I was like, why am I going to go to the news and talk about barbecue? I'm not the expert. You know, I, I have an expert and he's yeah. taught us barbecue. But what if they ask me a question? It's ultimately it's all reps. You know, you, you know, you do the reps, but the audio side I mean, you guys are already producing the content. You're already doing the interview and turning it into a podcast. <laughs> There's so many different platforms that push it out. And, you know, like you said, millennials, uh, it, when I drive, I listen to podcasts and, yeah. you know, listening to stories of other people that are doing things. It's 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 just another way to get all the work that you guys are already doing out. Um, so hopefully hopefully you guys have that coming soon. We yeah. And Sam, my colleague, he's he's got the whole like recording system. And I did a few interviews when I was in D.C. and then Atlanta last year in person with the microphones. And it just the kind of software we were using, I think, Audacity to edit it. The amount of time that was going to go into it, I was like, you got this magazine. I got to run. It's not going to happen. So now we're using Zencaster in the coronavirus age. And it's a little easier. The conversations are shorter and they're a little rawer. They're not as edited. So, you know. yeah, I mean, our, our, our position is you don't need professional equipment to create con I mean, actually the less higher quality and the less edited seems to do better because people want a real conversation. They don't want something that's NPR. Yeah, you do. You produce an, a, a beautiful, incredible magazine. Like this is just the real conversation. And who else, who else, like you said, you're able to pivot. You're able to be the scrappy company. Like as mm -hmm. long as your company is cool with it, you're going to start producing real stuff that mm -hmm. they won't be willing to do. Exactly. You know, that's my hope. They won't be willing to do. And yeah. that's what people are drawn to is, you know, real conversations. 
I hope. I mean, I accidentally cursed on yours and I cursed on my interview yesterday. Um, I said hell in the last one. I was like, I got to like watch myself here. It's the same thing when I'm around children. Be be yourself, continue to be yourself. And um, that's always the best. Yeah. yeah. But thank you so much. Oh, thank I you. Really, I'm I so really appreciate it. I'm so flattered. Thank you for asking and um, be, best wishes with all of this. I, I'm so glad you guys are um, innovating as it's going on. But keep us keep us up to date. Oh yeah, we will for sure. It's uh, it it. There's never. We were built for this. I mean, you know, as, as tough as it is, I I just for me the seeing the people you know die and die in just tragic ways where, you know, I mean, I can't think of a worse death where you can't be by your loved loved ones at your, not only are you not allowed to be with them and they'd be with you, but then you die and no one can, can celebrate, like no one can celebrate you. There's no funeral. I mean, I know. It's, have you heard about Floyd Cardo's chef? No. Floyd Cardo's. No. He was on top chef. Um, and we'd had him in the magazine a while ago. I didn't get to interview him, but he was in the magazine. He is the first, I think, big name chef to have passed away because of coronavirus. Oh. I think he was filming an episode of ugly delicious with David Chang oh, when he really? contracted it and he made it back to the States, but he, he died there. And it's just like, I mean, the outpouring of support from, you know, the restaurant community is amazing, but it's, it's so sad. Like when you, because, you know, obviously everyone's panicking and rightfully so over the economic, I mean, people are out of work, it's terrible, but it, it, the, the economic panic, at least for the food service has been so much there that, you know, hearing his story was kind of the first time we were really looking at like that human element of it too. Yeah. Just, I mean, the, that's, that's probably, you know, something that just goes until it's within your community. It's till it's somebody, you know, that, you know, I mean, the NBA, they had it, which thankfully they did have it so early because it caused a lot of things to, you know, us to act, but, you know, we'd be naive to think that, you know, today, the day before April 1st, that we're through this thing, you know, Oh yeah. we have to do everything we can with our staff to keep them safe and our customers. And, um, but we'll, we'll get through it. You know, yes. we're, we're resilient. We're scrappy. Very, <laughs> very scrappy. So have, yeah. have a great day. You too. Be safe, Sean. I will. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Right, bye. 